0: the Sermon on the Mount. We're going through Matthew 5, uh, 6, and 7, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is continuing to drive home the fact that people who are in the kingdom under God's rule are in a very real personal relationship with the Father, the Heavenly Father. And that relationship becomes the basis of everything else, your moral life, as Jesus has shown us, your spiritual life, devotional life, relational life, your priorities, values. And at the end of the day, we're becoming, you know, we're taking on more of God's character in our world. And, and it's transforming us from the inside out because that's the direction of kingdom spirituality. It starts inside and works its way out, not the opposite. Uh, As in all relationships, in all relationships, the inner matters, and it matters more. If the inward is right, the outward will be affected by it. But the outward can look okay, and the inward be a mess. And so the kingdom is to make sure that they are uh, in proper alignment and in the right order otherwise it's dangerous and damaging, uh, and not real. That's why, you know, when Jesus started speaking of sort of the danger of spirituality, religion, and that kind of thing, you know, he said, yeah, I mean, there's a moment where in the end of time you stand before God and he says to you something like, 'I, I don't even know who you are. Uh, and you're not really surprised by God's response when you step back and you go, you know, God's a person. He doesn't be, want to be related to in a, uh, a less than authentic or genuine way where it's just outward stuff, but there was no inner connection. And so we're not very surprised by God saying, I didn't, I didn't know you. And that's God being honest. And this is scary because one of the scary things about that verse in chapter 7, which we'll be able to look at deeper later, is that you deceived yourself. I mean, you came to believe that you, you actually believed you did have a relationship with him and you didn't. When Jesus says, beware, in chapter 6 and verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness. It's a scary thing. And maybe Put it like this very scary that you could literally over a lifetime accumulate a sort of series of religious acts that convince people that you have something that you don't, that is scary. And worse, deceive yourself thinking you have it and you don't. So Jesus is trying in chapter 6 to provide a way for people to assess and monitor their heart, the inside. And protect that heart. And he's doing that by looking at three devotional acts that where you could sort of Look at them in your own life and assess your own heart. There are three basic spiritual activities that sort of comprise this hidden life because the outward religious life is lived out, you know, for all to see. It just means that there's a secret, hidden, kind of invisible life as part of the kingdom living. And so we're able to sort of look inward and see. And we're looking at these three. These are the three sort of things going on. And we said, and it's just good to remind ourselves, because when you come into the kingdom, your relationship with money has to change. And when you come into the kingdom, your relationship with, you know, you, you know your priorities definitely have to change. And your whole idea of what productivity is. And we'll see that a little bit today. And then fasting relationship with food. and We're going to see how that relates to everything. I mean, there's just nothing about my life that's not impacted by just these activities, but also being in the kingdom. Being in the kingdom affects all of those things. And as we look at each one, you get a little bit of insight as to, oh, that's what that ought to look like. Oh, that's what that should look like. And you can assess yourself against it and protect yourself. Um, So last week we looked at giving and this week uh, we look at praying. Now, uh, it's worth noting that, um, you know, in these three you got giving and then at the end we'll have fasting And then in between, listen, there are 18 verses that deal with these three topics. First half of the chapter. 11 of them are on prayer. Does that say anything to anybody? Says something. And it's very loud and you got to hear it because this is central to everything. Uh, We're talking about relationship. Well, this would be equivalent to to you being asked about your marriage or about any friendship or relationship. How important is communication? Well, it's the the center of everything. We got to be on the same page. And so if you're going to give, prayer is going to be a part of that. And if you're going to fast, prayer is definitely going to be a part of that. So we need to get our arms around what this means. And give it the adequate attention that it needs. And it's prominent because it's critical and key to everything. And let me just say, it sets the tone for your relationship with God. Uh, because it's, it's the basis of all interaction. All your spiritual activities are going to be. And the truth is, let's be honest, it's, it's much more complicated I'm going to get something real quick. It's much more complicated, prayer. If you said to me, if you said to me after the service, "Hey, let's chat about giving. How do I know what to give?" We could do that pretty quick. If you said, "Hey, how do you fast? What do you do about?" It? Do that pretty quick. But if you come up to me and you say, "You know, talk to me about praying," I'm gonna go, oh, "Okay, I need you to read this book, And we'll meet three times a week for nine years, and then." You know, it's one of those. I got a text over this last week, this text interchange. This is how it It was A new guy, he's in our church. He was in the first service today. He didn't know I was going to do this, so he's getting to know me a little bit. I'll just spread all the dirty laundry. (laughs) Anyway, he said, uh, he goes, so he's very new to the faith. I mean very new and came in knowing nothing. He had no baggage to work through uh, Christianity. And so he's having a, he's having a rough 10 days, lots of things going on. And he says, so I'm praying. Uh, God hadn't, God not anything. He goes, uh, what do you Christians do about that? <laughs> this is what he says, <laughs> Right. And then he goes, uh, uh, let's see if I can see. He goes, uh, so, you know, I'm out here, you know, doing everything myself. This is what he says. Uh, is that normal for Christians? <laughs> uh, so how, do you, how in a text do I explain prayer to a guy who's just learning it? Because basically he's describing the complexity of prayer. It's a little more complex. Jesus spends a little more time on it. We need some guidance on it. Uh, so I love it, and, and the text is gonna raise questions we, we just have to answer. So let's start in with what he says. And of course, oh uh, well, no, it's here. So when you pray, so he's assuming, like with giving, that you do that. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. This is the first group of people that he's gonna challenge us with. The hypocrites are the religious people. You know, uh, the ones that love the outward part of the spiritual life because it makes them look good. They're actors on a stage. That's what the hypocrites are. Uh, And and here we we learn a little bit more about them. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners so that they can be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Um, Okay, so here's our first little... This is what Jesus identifies as the wrong way to do it. Uh, So, you got the synagogue in the street, so you got very public things, because there are times prayer has to happen in public, and then there are times it's less public. Okay, but for the hypocrite, It doesn't matter where he is because all the world's a stage to the hypocrite. He can create a makeshift stage anywhere. It's all an act, whether it's out in public or not. It's a way to show off. And prayer can easily be that. All of us sort of sense it when we're sitting in a a space with somebody and somebody reaches out to you and says, hey, would you mind praying? Immediately, you die inside. Why? Because you're like, I'm not sure I know what to say and I'm not sure I'm going to impress anybody in here with my prayer. It's the same mentality. Do I have to sound good to these people? You feel that feeling. It's a real feeling when it comes to prayer. Don't ask me. Because ah, 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 you're, you're worried about being embarrassed by what you say. Okay, so it's a real thing. Well, these guys love it. And they've mastered the art of putting on a prayer show. And you get a little bit more, like with each one of these, there's some description of the hypocrite, some description of the spiritual actor that uh, gives us a little more insight, really, into the psychology of hypocrisy. Like here we learn that they, they love it. Now, we have just spent a lot of time on the concept of love at the end of chapter 5. Jesus has made it very clear what love is. And it's not love for self. It's love for others. Their love is centered on them. Their love is centered on them. It's not on God. It's on them. And when you can take something as intimate as prayer is, and diabolically turn it to glorify yourself, you've just entered a a horrific vortex. I'm trying to come up with words that describe the horror of that, the self-centeredness of that. This is not the kind of love. Self-love is not what preoccupies people in the kingdom. And if it bleeds into your prayer life, then you've really messed up and it's not what do they love to do they love to stand this is a, a great little word tense of the word is what's important it's kind of a perfect tense which in other words they they get up but then they sort of pose it's not just standing was a, a pretty common posture for prayer they did it in the synagogues and even in the streets on corners with people it wasn't uncommon to see people stand to pray you yeah, well, we do that too standing to pray is not a big deal but they didn't just stand, they, they they made it a thing, and then they posed. And it was sort of a kind of a posturing. This is what this is what spiritual this is what spirituality looks like kind of a thing. This is what they loved to do. And so uh, again, a little bit of a caricature to describe the tendency in the human heart to seek attention, especially in the world of religion. We want to appear good to people. Um, Sometimes that matters more to us than really being good, is that we were thought of as good. Isn't that true? That's what they're doing. Jesus is fighting that. The kingdom heart fights against that. It will appear in you. You will want to look better sometimes than you want to be. But the kingdom heart fights that. And then Jesus says this, and you you don't always get this little amen. That's really what the word is. But uh, very often you're reading the Gospels and you'll hear Jesus say, truly, truly, I say to you, or he'll say the words, amen, amen, amen. It's God's. It's God's way of just sort of stopping and getting attention. This would be God. This would be after this description. You see, God said, "Do you feel me? Don't play that game." Oh, and by the way, I'll have nothing to do with it. I won't engage you. I won't respond, and you'll get nothing from me. But this is God. Not threatening, being honest. I'm out on that. I'm out on that. Okay. We all you all heard that pretty good. Okay. Now what else? What else do we need to know? Well, when you pray, let's see we're in verse. When you pray. Here's sort of an opposite extreme. I actually want you to go into your room and I want you to shut the door. And I want you to pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now listen, I cannot underscore to you the importance of this verse for your private devotional life. There is no way to underscore it any any more importantly. I don't know that there's a a, a better verse for you to take to define your private spiritual life, the hidden life. Um, The opposite extreme of the standing and making a scene, you know, posturing, is actually going into a room and shut the door. And the Palestinian homes had these little, they, they had these little rooms, usually in the center of the house. And so when Jesus uses this phrase, and he'll use the secret place uh, terminology a couple other times in the gospels, and it always refers to this particular room. It was usually kind like of like a storeroom and it had a lock on it. Uh, and so everybody understood exactly what Jesus meant when he said, go in there. Like, get a, Get away, Avoid all the, the possible stages in your life for prayer and get to a private place. Uh, now, this is really important because there's two parts to this. Um, there is a, a go into and a shut out idea to the concept of being alone with God. So you have this, uh, you're gonna step into this little room. And by the way, this is really important. I'll just go ahead and throw it out here right now. It's not important that you be in a room. It's more important that you be alone. This is sort of a caricature. It's the opposite extreme to the platform sort of praying is, I just want you alone with me. This is just a, this is a person that's close to you saying, I just want it to be you and me. But it has two elements to it that are important. One is we are alone. We're in this little private space. We go into a room. And at the same time we go into that room, we shut out everything else. All of it. All the external reality. Like you got this invisible, this secret place, this hidden place. And then you have this external world that you have to shut out. Remember we talked about last week, we shrink. We shrink to uh, cross over to ourselves because it's hard to be alone. It's really hard to be alone with a God who knows everything about you. We're not comfortable with ourselves. We we could be very uncomfortable with God at times. Going into that place is no small thing. But on top of that is I got to shut the world out in order to get there. And that's something that we fight against too. So it's, it can be a little bit of, a, of, a, of an intimidating place. And I've got to shut out everything. I, uh, this world I know really well. That's my life. That's the mess of my life. That's everything going on. And i got to get to it. And there are things that i got to accomplish. That's the external life. You've got to shut that off. And so uh, <laughs> here's, here's what I like about this. Before Before you ever say anything, like this hasn't told you what to say in there, you don't know of anything Jesus wants you to say in there necessarily. Which means just going in there says something. Something just going into the room, before I have to verbalize anything, I have said something very loud. I have said, I know that this is the place where I meet God and where all of reality stems from. And if I want the rest of my world to work, I've got to be centered here in the invisible, where the invisible is what's driving the visible. The visible will make us nuts. The external makes us nuts. There's a lot to do and there's a lot to worry about. There's a lot to get our arms around all the time. Demands, everything. This is harried life. Stepping into this room says something for you to stop that life and step into that room is a very profound thing. Uh, Because you're stepping into this hidden place. When you step into the hidden place, You step away from all the visible outward material stuff and you say the invisible. You're saying before you ever say a word, the invisible is what drives the visible. That's what you're saying out loud. Now this is important. I don't think there's anything more important to my own prayer time when I wake up in the mornings to have mine, which is when I happen to do it. Uh, the thing that screams at me the most is, are you going to shut off everything else that's going on in your head and get there? That's the first thing. I don't know what I'm going to say when I get there. I don't know what I'm going to read necessarily yet. But I know I got to get there first. And the first big question is, are you willing to shut it all off to get there? Because that's the loudest statement you'll make when you enter that room. The loudest statement you'll make is, the visible does not drive me. I go in here for everything I need to make life work. I don't try to make life work on my own. That's not the most important thing. That's a powerful statement. And for many of us, it's almost impossible. I was, I've been waiting to start this little, this little book, um, I'm reading a few things, and so I've been putting it off. And last night, Gail went to bed early, and I couldn't help myself. So I I was saving it for later, but I started it. I got about 60 pages in before my eyes were going to burn, literally. And because I had this liberty light, it's called Believing is Seeing, and it's a physicist. He was a uh, guy who grew up in L.A. You, you, You probably know him. He's of Mexican descent. And, um, he makes a point of that because he's in LA and he's grown up in a Pentecostal family in California and he doesn't believe a thing that's going on there. And he finally gets to the place where science has always been his thing. And he, uh, eventually, you know, goes to undergrad and then goes to Cornell and he becomes at the, an ABC, uh, their science guy in the, in the nineties. Uh, he was everything and taught at Harvard for eight years, he was an atheist. And he starts encountering science and, and he loves it so much. But he, but he started it with, and I read this a lot with physicists, they talk about the world that's visible and invisible. And he goes, the thing I loved about science was I loved the observable. And the first thing I realized is that I get into science and I start realizing 95% of the universe is not observable. There's dark energy. We call it dark energy and we call it dark matter because we don't know what else to call it. We cannot see it. Many scientists don't even believe it really exists, but it influences reality. Dark energy may be what's causing the world to expand the universe to expand like a balloon being blown up. And dark matter has this, like you get this impact of matter, mass on reality, but you can't see it. And he said, that shifted my whole world. That's what it means to go into here. You realize 95% of reality is not visible and you know that deep in your heart and you're not driven by the external. It's true in the universe, it's true in the kingdom. The spiritual is the foundation of all things not the physical and every time you step into that closet you're screaming that I know I gotta be in here because this is what matters most just showing up as a break with the world and a disconnect from and you get to the unseen in the hidden because you know the impact it has on you and then you can have a better impact in the world all of your Everything you got to deal with out there can be dealt with better because you spent time in here. So uh, he said, here's the the primary reason for that. The father is there. That's where he is. This is where I'm going to be. I want you to show up. I want you to be there with me. And so we have this unseen, we have this hidden God who's present in a hidden place. And wants to be met in a hidden place. When we say hidden, one other dynamic to that is not just concealment. Not just that nobody else sees, even though that's, that's a piece. It's a genuineness. Something genuine. About the heart. Alone with God which is exactly what God's looking for, which is what we're all looking for when we're talking about relationships, something genuine. Uh, Now, Paul uses the word secret, hidden "hidden," in Romans 2, when he's describing, uh, you know, the Jews thought you had to become a Jew if you weren't a Jew, you had to become a Jew in order to be saved in order to be a Christian. Paul's combating that. And by doing it, he says, uh, so some, Jew, some people are Jews outwardly. You can look on their face, you can, you can see them, and you can see what they do, and you could tell. But some convert to Judaism. And, G, and Paul is trying to say, some of the people who convert are more Jew than the Jews themselves. What's he trying to say? Because genuinely in their heart, they have become, they're genuine. They're not just outward. So when we talk about the secret, and he uses the word secret and hidden. And he's trying to describe this idea of the secret is a genuineness. That's what he is saying here. Uh, One writer said, The infallible test of spiritual integrity is your private prayer life. A hidden God in a hidden place. So let me put it to you this way, this might help. My best hope of being genuine, my best hope of really knowing God having a real relationship with him is determined by being in that room now that might freak you out because you think well I mean but I go to church wouldn't he he see that and I do this and I've done that and I serve at the no they're not The test of genuineness. Because you could have outward stuff and not have the inward. How do you know you have the inward? In other words, I just jotted down here. If I'm not getting in there, who am I kidding? That idea. Now, listen. We don't know what in the world to do when we get in there at this point. At this point, it's just, did you show up? It has nothing to do with what you do when you get in there yet. Okay, and there are a number of problems with that. Most of us don't get over there. We talk about crossing over. Well, uh, Calvin Miller talks about the sort of the three paradoxes about going in there. That might be helpful for you to understand why you got to get there. Uh, The first one is aloneness is presence, which is essentially what Jesus is saying. Get in that place where nobody else is but you and you feel alone, I'm there. That's the first thing. That's where I'll be. Now that says something incredibly important to your spiritual life. There are some things... You cannot get from God unless you're alone with him. You can get some stuff in here. You can get some stuff in other places. But there are some things you cannot get. The other one is retreat is advancement. See, one of the reasons we don't cross over into that other room is we've got things to do and get done. And when you're sitting in that room, whether it's five minutes or 50 minutes, you feel like you just wasted time. You're like, the reason you don't get in there is because you've got to get stuff done. You've got a long day ahead of you. And it doesn't feel like you're advancing when you're in there. It feels like, well, the opposite of advancement. It just feels like you're wasting time and not getting anything done and you're not productive. You're not making any headway. Jesus is trying to say, no, 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 no. It's just the opposite. I will, what happens in this space will be able to make you able to deal with all of that even better. Because transformation happens in that room. You think differently. You act differently you're prepared for what's going on. That's a hard thing to remember. It's a hard thing to believe. But then the final one, we've talked about this before, beyond is with the wind. You gotta go inside in order to get beyond it all. You know, every once in a while we look at life, we go, how in the world? You you just look at the whole thing and you're like, and truly the reality is your world is really small. It feels like you've you got the world to deal with. It's very small. Look around you. It's very small. Where are you going to get the context of all reality, the beyond, to deal with the minutia going on in your life that feels like it's the weight of the world? Where are you going to get context to deal with all that in here? in that space. So those are the paradoxes. And if that's not enough, I mean, he makes it very clear. That's where I'm at. And I see. And we've said something about seeing. It's not just that he observes, you know, takes a note, like a notepad and goes, well, Pete showed up. Take attendance today. It's not just that he sees. It's that he's engaged. We've seen that throughout this text. He's engaged. Um, He's attentive. Because remember, Jesus is attracted to genuineness. Heart things matter. The struggle of the heart Matters to God. He knows it's not easy to get in that room. He knows it. And then the rewards. My goodness, we've been talking about the rewards a lot of this private spiritual life, and I mean, they're just countless. They're just countless. Um,. Think about when I think about praying in private. I don't think about what I have to say, or how to say it, or what I'm going to talk to God about. I just know the importance of that. I got to be connected to Him. Maybe you can simplify it to that. I go in there. You get in there because I just need to feel connected to God. And this is a way he seems uh, to make that happen. I can't afford not to be connected to him. And there's a number of things that can happen in that room. Truths emerge that we agree on, and I remember, I agree with that. Or there's a challenge that I need to face, and I need him. Or there's uh, an adventure to go on, because it'll prompt you to do something. Or uh, there's a concern that I have that I need to share. Or or I need to he- or I'm going to hear something, and I need to I need to have I need to have assurance. I need some assurances. Or I need resolve. I got to make that happen. I got to I got to deal with that. Whatever it is, all that those are all rewards when they come. They're rewards, and there's countless of those that come from being in there. All right, so let's say you get in the room, and let's just stop for a second because this is great advice. We haven't said about anything in the room. So far, we got really good advice from Jesus. Don't play games. Get in the room. If we stop today, and you said, and how about it this week, you, let's say you haven't been going in that room, but let's say this week you just showed up in there and you just said, uh, I was told to come in here, but I have no idea what I'm doing. What would you think God would think of that? Tell me. He'd think and love that. Because you know what? Because that would mean. I don't know what I'm supposed to do in here, but I know it's important. And I know all that stuff I thought was important. And I'm, uh, I'd really like to have a connection with you. That's what it would say. So at this point right here, you have no idea what you're going to do in that room. But if you showed up for five days next week, I think God would be pretty thrilled about that. Because it would mean you've stepped away from all the stuff you think's important, that you handle, that you don't need God for, that you'd rather stress about than talk to him about. So so far, without a without one inkling of what in the world to do when you get in there, we still got good advice from Jesus already, don't we? Just get in there. Get in there. That's what you're getting. Now, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles. Now he's going to talk about a different group of people, not hypocrites, not religious people, pagan people, people who don't know me. Don't pray like they do either. Don't pray like the hypocrites do, the people who put on the show. And don't pray like the Gentiles do, who don't even know me. Like, I mean, at least walk in the room and say, you know, I know you. Because uh, they heap up empty phrases and they have all kinds of Uh, they just think they have to say a bunch of stuff. Now, what's going on here? It's really simple. It's not that big of a deal. These are outsiders who don't know God personally. And so the assumption is, in this whole religious thing, that you got (laughs) to, that prayer is just to get stuff. And so you got to know the right thing to say. And you got to make sure you say enough because God has to be worked. You got to work him. You know, we all think that there's certain phrases, you say them and. Oh, God liked that one. I'll bet he liked that one. We all have that. Ooh, that came out good. Be hard for God to say no to that. Right? That's how we, sometimes we think about prayer that way. It can be that weird. But these people, they're not interested in relating to God. They just assume you have to use God. Manipulate him. Say the right words. and Prayer just becomes mechanical. You say the right words or enough words, a bunch of phrases and a, bunch, and a, and a, and a lot of them, okay? Uh, and so one of the ideas is impressive. It's either impressive or verbose, or both. One of those works. In fact, this is, this is legitimate sort of stuff. So when I go in there tomorrow morning, should I say a lot? What should I say? You're gonna ask that question. And here's Jesus saying, hey, when you get in there, don't do these things. Oh, okay, that helps me. It helps me. Don't get meaningless. Don't imagine that I'm a genie. Don't treat me like, I'm just here to do stuff for you. Because this is a misunderstanding of prayer and it's a misunderstanding of God. This is not how I want to be related to you. It's not the more words and the better words, the more results. That's not how it works. So how does it work? Well, don't do it that way. Don't be like them. And here's what he says. Two things. Your father, number one, I want to be treated like, you, like a, there's a relationship. And number two, I know things. These are two important things to know when you go into that room. You get in there and you don't know what to do. Here's two things to know. Your father is in there, not some genie. So that automatically changes. it. Well, I'm not going in here like a booth, pull a lever, make sure I get what I need. So there's a dynamic going on here that's more important than just me getting what I need. There's something else going to happen in that room besides that. I'm your father. That's the first thing. This is a relationship. I don't want to be manipulated. I love you. This is what you need to know when you walk in that room above everything else. You need to know. I care about you. I'm a dad. If God feels anything like me for his kids, that's a room I want to be in. he loves me. He cares about me. So I go into that room and I know, I don't know what's going on in here. I'm loved in here though. And here's the second thing. God says, I'm sovereign. Look, I love this because I know what you need before you ask. Now I have to be honest with you and say, there is a part of me that was thinking that maybe God would, would say something different to the answer of don't heap up a bunch of words and don't do all this kind of stuff. There's other kinds of answers. But he says this, I know what you need. What, what does that mean? Well, first of all, it's obviously I'm omniscient. So when you come into the room as your dad, this is different than the, the earthly father because he knows everything. Uh, Don't imagine that I lack information when you go in there. Um, You're not going to believe this, God. (laughs) That idea. The dynamic of of a conversation changes if I'm talking to you about something we both already know about. Isn't that true? If I walk into the room and you have no idea about this issue, then I got to start from A to Z and walk you through and bring you all the way to this point right here. And how many times have you avoided people because you don't want to go from A to Z with people? Right? God says, don't treat me like that either. When you come in the room, I already know. I know the call you got from the doctor. I know about the loss. I know about the bill. And you know, that immediately changes the way I'm going ha- to converse with God about it because I'm not going to go, hey God, you know, here's what happened. We got in our car, we drove to the, we saw this doctor, we got these news and I don't know if you know what's going on, but changes the whole thing. It's How many times have you started prayer like this? Lord, I know you know what we just heard today. Whole conversation changes. And I don't know what to do. I'm at a loss. You know, I'd kinda like it to to go this way. But I know you could be up to something, huh? I don't know what it is. I certainly... I certainly need you to be involved. And I don't want to do anything stupid because I'm tempted to. Protect me my thoughts my fears it just changes the conversation cuz he knows that we are needy and here's the tr- we are needy and this is what i remember when i go in there and i'm desperate for an answer he knows that I'm needy. That's the first, that's the why he goes to this whole issue of asking because prayer really at the end of the day is asking. And that's an important part of relationships because good relationships sort of have that negotiating, asking sort of dynamic going on. I mean, otherwise, what are you doing in your relationship? Are you demanding? You don't go in the room and demand. That doesn't work anywhere. Try it in your marriage. Your wife, your spouse can detect very quickly whether you're asking them to do something or telling them. And immediately go, hey, 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 hey. if we're going to be in a relationship with one another, we're going to ask. And I may not always get what I want. But when I ask, it becomes a negotiation of. What am I supposed to do and what are you supposed to do to figure out how we together are going to make this thing work? And that's what prayer is. Talking to God about how we are going to make this thing work. Because I need him. But here's the other thing. God's happy to work with you. He wants to do things through you and through your crisis and in your circumstances. But he, because he knows what you need, he also knows what your real needs are. And even though you're asking for stuff. You know, Dallas Willard says it's a great advantage of prayer that it's not a fail-safe mechanism. Aren't you glad you have a father who really knows what you do need? C.S. Lewis puts it like this. Prayers are not always granted. This is, this is not because prayer is a weaker kind of causality. But because it's a stronger kind, when it works at all, it works unlimited by space and time. That is why God has retained discretionary power of granting or refusing it. He's got to move heaven and earth to answer some of our prayers. And you can't just be moving heaven and earth all the time. You got to know when to do that and how it's going to affect everything else in the world. And so he says, except on that condition, prayer would destroy us or someone else. Who knows? We're counting on him to know what I really need and how to do it. But not only are my real needs, that does he know them, he takes them into account in a way. When I bring a need to God in that room, there is something about how we're going to work together to deal with that that's going to turn me into the kind of person either through an answer or through a transformation of me in relating to that situation that's going to make the kingdom grow. And so my needs are not insignificant. They're actually very important to bring to God so that as he works through those needs, he turns me into somebody who can be what I need to be in the kingdom because that's ultimately what matters. And so here's what you have. This commentator put it this way. It's just beautiful to hear it. Your needs are not insignificant. They have an important role to play in the governance of the cosmos. God works through those needs that you have as you bring them to him, and he uses them. Answers or not answers. Transforms you, changes your mind about it, and turns you into something that the kingdom needs. That's how big God's working. God's working in a grand scope. So, let me say, uh, let me give you just close by giving you three pieces of application. We have a lot more to talk about further. We haven't exhausted this at all. This is just the beginning places but if you're going to show up if you are actually going to do it show up and you have no idea what to do I'm going to give you three things number one first is show up get there even if you don't say a word show up there practice showing up okay that's number one number two don't worry about getting words right don't second third thing None of these are hard so far, are they? (laughs) They're not hard. Here's the third one. You say, I don't know what to say when I get in there. I'm going to give you four things to say to God if you show up there. Here they are. Number one, ask for something. I know you can do that. And I'm going to give you two things to ask for. Something physical, your life, and something spiritual. Something spiritual. Spiritual. Got anything spiritually going on in your life? Do you say, God, how about this one? God, I don't know if I really believe you answer prayer. Help me with that. I'm mad at someone and I don't know if I can forgive them. Help me with that. Something spiritual and something physical. Could be anything. Your car's a mess. Your dis going on. We could all give a lift right here, couldn't we? Crap going on. How are we going to do with that? How are we going to do with that? Ask God for one of them. Okay? That's the first thing. Ask. Second thing, surely you can thank him for something. Surely you can thank him for something. Doesn't matter how you say it. Number three, pray for somebody you know. Hey, you know, so-and-so is going through a hard time. Lord, I, I, I have no idea all the details, but I just lift him up to you. Help him out. This is how I start my prayers every, in the mornings. I just learned that starting out, thinking about where other people are has helps me a whole lot with the rest of my prayer time. If I know God, if, if I'm praying for some, some other people. And so I just have this conveyor belt of people and I start with them. You can pray for somebody. And then the fourth thing, speak. If it's true that God's in there, he might say something to you. You might get a really strong impression of something you need to do. Be open to that and do it. Could be simple. Could be hardly anything. Could be something, yeah, God, I felt this yesterday. Next morning, you got to say it again. I felt that. Do I, am I going to feel it again? You know, whatever. It could be anything. You can ask. You can thank. You can pray for somebody. And you can just be open in case he says something. I don't care if you're in there three minutes or 30. Irrelevant. Don't judge yourself by that. You judge yourself by did you show up? Primarily. How's that sound? Can you think you can handle it? All right. Let's stop there because I got more. If we keep going, just, just let's stand up because we have more to deal with. Prayer is the biggest topic in the first half of the chapter, so we got other things to consider. If you got questions, keep them. Right, next couple of weeks, we'll be addressing them too. But feel free to uh, text any, and we can talk about those too. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm excited, Father. I just come before you pray for all of us, Lord. Prayer's hard and we want to learn how to do it. Every one of us want to say in here, Lord, we haven't mastered this and we want to know a little bit more. Help us to show up, Father. Help us to show up. In Jesus' name.